Stella made a beat, so it's go time. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Core 4 Podcast, a podcast under the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network alongside GBB Live, the 3D Podcast, and the Starty 5 Podcast. Make sure you're liking, subscribing, downloading, whatever you need to do on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcast. And Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. You found the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and with me today is someone who actually just wrote a very good piece regarding Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman, among other Grizzly draft targets over the past two years. Big Nate Chester. Nate, what up? Parker, I'm feeling pretty anxious right now, to be honest with you. That piece, I agree that it was a very good piece that I wrote, and I think everybody should go check it out. But I'm anxious for reasons that have nothing to do with basketball right now. You want to know why? Why is that? So I ordered a PlayStation 5 from Kohl's, of all places, late Saturday night, like around 12.05 in the morning or 12.05 in the night, depending on how you look at it. And I thought it was way too good to be true because my order went in with like no problems whatsoever. And that appeared to be the case for a bunch of other people. So you're thinking to yourself, okay, this is probably not good. There's probably a catch to this. So I get a confirmation email the following morning and for the last two days people have been receiving cancellation emails where Coles is saying that um, they sold more stock than they actually had and they've been canceling those previous confirmations now I'm about two days in now and I have still not received a cancellation email but I've also not received a shipping email so I've been um, anxiously refreshing my email it's what I was doing before we started this podcast and it, it's a stressful time man it's a very stressful time I understand that I am currently in the market for PlayStation five as well for a Christmas gift, um, inside scoop. Um, I heard the target is doing a release on Wednesday. I don't know what time. Walmart's doing it on Wednesday too. Probably. I, I, they're pretty in sync, but, uh, we don't know what time. That's what the most stressful thing is. I don't know what time they're doing these releases. So I'm like, okay, um, looks like I'll be on uh, Target's website all day trying to see if I can get that PS5. But we're out here trying to catch up with the times. Yeah, I've got like multiple – we'll get off this tangent here in a second, but I've got multiple – um, Twitter accounts that like keep me up to date when stocks are refilled and it's gotten so bad to the point where I'm keeping like my credit card in my spare pocket and carrying my wallet around with me wherever I go even inside of my own house so that way if I get a notification on my phone that say Target has got stock I'm prepared and ready to go dude I feel that I feel that for sure but let's go to less things to be anxious about and that is the Memphis Grizzlies in their moves this past week. So, obviously, draft night, they went from having the 40th pick to moving up to the 30th and the 35th pick to pick Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman. 
They also signed Killian Tilly to a two-way deal, a guy that he probably would have been a bonafide first-round pick if it wasn't for injuries at Gonzaga. And then they also signed, signed Butler's Sean McDermott, who I read an article that somebody derived this metric to find players like the most similar to Duncan Robinson. And Sean McDermott had the seventh highest score of anybody this decade and the highest in this draft class. So pretty good draft night, I must say. We don't have to go really too in depth. Everybody's read a bunch of stuff on it. They've listened to podcasts on it. But do you have any sort of uh, overall overarching thoughts regarding the Memphis Grizzlies' draft performance? Um, to the point that you made about Sean McDermott, I do find it a little bit hilarious how Duncan Robinson was this, you know, for lack of a better way to describe him, this random white wing that went undrafted to the Miami Heat were able to scoop up for nothing um, in the offseason before this previous season. I think they got him in training camp. It wasn't like they got him in the middle of the summer either. And uh, no, wait, no, no. He played some games for them at the end of the previous season. And then he exploded this season. And now everybody is trying to find the next Duncan Robinson at the tail end of the second round in the first round. That's why Aaron Nesmith went 14th to Boston using the Grizzlies pick. Aaron Nesmith was 13 years old when the Jeff Green trade happened, and he finally comes home to roost for the Boston Celtics this year. So I'm sure Danny Ainge is happy to have received the 13-year-old from that trade that he always wanted to. He never wants to acquire anything meaningful, but, you know, he can do him. He can do him. Um, But the Grizzlies made another trade with Danny Ainge, and this is one that they're almost certain to win, and trading two future second-round picks for the 30th pick which they used to select Desmond Bain. Um, I'm going to use, I'm going to borrow a point that our friend Kurt Serious face, I believe he writes for the Dallas Mavericks SB Nation site. And he made this point under my article here today. And he said, when you get your guy, it informs your philosophy. And what he meant by that is, so the Grizzlies have John Morant. They have their centerpiece. And really, they have that in Jaron Jackson Jr. as well. So you got your two franchise centerpieces, the two guys that you think are going to be all-stars for years to come for your team. And when you have that foundation of which to work with, that opens you up to target role players who are going to um, accentuate their strengths. They're going to align with their strengths strengths of what they bring to the court. The Grizzlies don't have to take these high upside gambles with someone like, say, a Jaden McDaniels or someone like that. When there's someone like Desmond Bain, who I've made the point, there's no reason why he should have felt 30 in this draft. He's a six foot six, 220, uh, 220-pound swing man, a 44% three-point shooter in college, an excellent high IQ defender, um, showed his chops as a secondary playmaker, averaging four assists a game last year for TCU. He's also an impressive three-level scorer. It's rare that you find guys at that point in the draft who seem to have little to no weaknesses of any kind. And we can have a discussion about what Desmond Bain's ultimate upside can be. I think it's higher than most. I think there is a very real world where he becomes the third or fourth best player on the next great Grizzlies team. But that's not really the point. The point is that the Grizzlies have the leeway in having those two franchise cornerstones to go out and target players like Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman, who will absolutely not fail. Xavier Tillman is not going to fail. Desmond Bain is not going to fail. Those two guys will be rotation players for years to come. 
Maybe they can be more than that. We'll have to wait and see on that. But you take the perceived lower upside but the higher floors, and those are the type of players that you should target when you have your two franchise cornerstones. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah, I I actually have the uh, the funny take where I think it's funny that the Grizz or the Celtics they use that uh, pick from the Rudy, from the Jeff Green trade, mm-hmm. and they acquired somebody prob- that could end up probably being worse than the guy they traded to the Grizzlies in a draft night deal. Like I think Desmond Bain's a more surefire prospect than Aaron Nesmith, despite what uh, the three point percentages and the common perception of ageism always says in the NBA draft. But I, I think Desmond Bain was uh, a home run for the Grizzlies. Um, when the Grizzlies made that trade at 30, both Bain and Tyrell Terry, who had worked out for the Grizzlies prior to the draft, were on the board. And I was going to be a static either way because it was very comforting to know that, especially with this track record, the Grizzlies made that move with intention to get a great prospect and I just knew that it wasn't going to fail whether it was going to be trading up to get Desmond Bain or trading up to get Tyrell Terry it was going to be great and now it all like you said he has upside better than I guess his archetype of a 6'6 wing with a negative two wingspan as he has a 6'4 wingspan who's also 22 years old because of his three-level scoring, his secondary playmaking, something I'm riding on for a Grizzly Bear Blues tomorrow. And it's going to really bolster this Grizzlies wing depth as really right now, like obviously the starter-level guys you have are Dylan Brooks and Justice Winslow. And Justice Winslow will likely be missing the start of the season. But also he adds size there where the Grizzlies bench, their wing core is... Grayson Allen and D'Anthony Melton, who are great in their own regards. Grayson as a great three-point shooter and D'Anthony Melton as a great glue guy who's going to rack up steals and can serve as a secondary playmaker alongside Tyus Jones. But Bain is just a nice little X factor where if that three-point jumper hits and he's also making those same reads as a secondary playmaker, averaging like, even if it's off the bench, averaging like, an assist and a half or two assists a game. It's going to open up the offense a lot for the rest of the Grizzlies perimeter core, whether it's John Morant and Tyus Jones or whether it's Dylan Brooks and Grayson Allen, D'Anthony Melton, at least in the short term uh, before Justice Winslow's return from injury. Yeah. So let's talk about Bain specifically. And you talk about his skill set as it relates to its upside. And I think I made this point to you last week on draft night. How many role players can you think of in the NBA? And let's just assume that Bain's skill set for the most part translates from what he had at TCU. Um, How many role players, like legitimate role players, plug and play type role players, how many of those can you name that are elite three-point shooters, really good defenders, so a 3 and D wing, are very good secondary playmakers, and are also impressive three-level scorers. How many mirror role players can you name that fit into all those archetypes I just named? I think Malcolm Brogdon fits into that archetype. That's somebody who yeah. the Ringers' Kevin O'Connor compared Bain to in his draft guide 
uh, especially when he was in Milwaukee because he had Eric Bledsoe who could, who's kind of like a, who's their de facto point guard Giannis as their primary playmaker. While Middleton was also evolving as a all-star level playmaker. I mean, not, he doesn't shoot the three ball at an elite level. I mean, his intangibles and stuff. Another ringer comparison was like Alex Caruso. Um, and I think that's a good little like short term like rookie year comp would be somebody like a like Alex Caruso. I'm honestly currently looking at the three point percentage list for the entire NBA. There's as far as when you factor in is I mean it doesn't show it in Memphis, but Justin Holiday is not necessarily a bad one either. Like he's a really good three point shooter that really did. Didn't get the show yeah. in Memphis. I think those are just a couple guys. Ingles, probably. Would you put Ingles in there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Joe Ingles is another good cop. Um, Norman Powell? Yeah, Norman Powell. Guys like Joe Ingles and Norman Powell, I think, are like two guys who I think Desmond Bain should really look to model his game after. And, you know, he mentioned Joe Harris as somebody he would like to model his game after. And Joe Harris is phenomenal for what he is. There's a reason why he's projected to make about $18 million a year in the contract he receives this offseason. He's one of the game's best snipers in the modern NBA, which prioritizes three-point shooting and spacing the way that it does. But I think – Bain projects to have a little more in his bag than Joe Harris does, especially on the defensive end of the court. And, you know, he's going to go through a transition. I don't think the game's going to come as easily to him in the NBA as it was at TCU, nor should we expect it to. But if his skill set on each side of the court and how that presents itself in different ways, for the most part, ends up translating from college to the NBA – he could be more than just the plug-and-play role player that many people think he's going to be for the Grizzlies. And most likely scenarios, that's what he'll be for the Grizzlies. You and I both think he could spend extended time in the starting lineup for the Grizzlies this year, especially with Justice Winslow and Jaron Jackson Jr. outside of the starting lineup to start the season. But a couple years down the road, he could become a very premium elite role player in the mold of a Malcolm Brogdon in the – even though Malcolm Brogdon has become basically a tertiary star in his own right at this point, like he averaged 18 and eight in Indiana this year, but someone like a Joe Ingles, someone like a Norman Powell, he could be those guys and perhaps a little bit even more than that. And I won't be surprised if that ends up being his end game in the NBA. For sure. Yeah, I do. I do have to take that. I, I think the Desmond bank could start over Dylan Brooks by the all-star break. I was talking to Brandon Abraham about this too because there's this kind of growing assumption within Grizz Twitter that Desmond Bain will probably start opening night in places Justice Winslow. But Brandon was telling me that he thinks he can see a scenario where, the, where Coach Jenkins rolls with more of the guys that played last year ahead of Bain, at least to start the season, whether that's starting uh, Grayson Allen alongside Ja, Dylan. Clark or Kyle Anderson and then Jonas Valanciunas or starting DeAnthony Melton in that two spot. And I'm personally more in the, in the party where I would rather start Grayson if that's the case, because splitting up that bench trio of Tyus Melton and Clark while also adding Desmond Bain in there 
Like that's all that was already a top 10 level bench last season. That could be one of the better benches in the NBA. Granted, I don't think anybody's touching the Lakers bench. I mean, they they just added the two finalists for sixth man of the year. And they still have guys like Kuzma and Caruso that'll come off the bench too. So they're gonna be awesome. Um but I, I think I think Bain's just a, a real luxury because with his size and his skill set, he gives the Grizzlies options to where you can start him at the two, you can start him at the three, you can have him come off the bench, and you're not really going to miss a beat either way. I don't think enough people are talking about, you know, maybe the wingspan could be a little bit of a limiting factor in this, but he's got some potential as a small ball forward, depending on what the lineup is. And, you know, you look at his obvious frame, he's 6'6", 220, and he's obviously built, but my goodness, just go look at some of his pictures if you haven't already and look at his arms and look at his shoulders, and he would be more than equipped to match up with even some relatively physical fours in the NBA, depending on what the matchups are. You can use him two through four on extended periods of stretches throughout games, and he provides that versatility that you can use either in the starting lineup or off the bench, and he is a luxury for the Grizzlies, like you said, in that way. But I do think it's going to be a little bit comical when you see a bench lineup. you got Little Tyus Jones, you have then Anthony Melton, and then at the three, you've got Desmond Bain, who is just built like an absolute truck and is the biggest guy coming out of that bench lineup. That size gives him the leeway to be more versatile than the other wings in the Grizzlies rotation. And it could be very interesting how Taylor Jenkins uses him in that way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And Bain, like, he has a – obviously, he's has a very nice build at 6'6", 215, even though the, uh, the wingspan theoretically limits him. He also has a very low center of gravity where, like you said, he can man some minutes as a small ball four. Uh, in, in the last two seasons at TCU, he averaged 5.7 rebounds and 6.3 rebounds. So it kind of is going with the mold that Grizzlies are trying to look for and getting strong positional rebounders to offset Jaron Jackson Jr.'s rebounding woes at the moment. And I think that also bodes well for switchability, especially since the Grizzlies' more potent lineups have Jaron and Clark at the four and five, which means it profiles more as a switchable, more ver- defensive versatility-minded group because usually that lineup has like John Morant, Tyus, or, yeah, Tyus Jones, Anthony Melton, Kyle Anderson, Dylan Brooks, guys like that. So adding more switchable players that could theoretically get down and go for rebounds and play a little uh, – play some uh, small ball positions. I think that bodes well. And, I mean, I'm just excited. that not The Grizzlies, yes, in the grand scheme of things, they drafted a shooter. But they drafted somebody who could be much more than a shooter. He could be a secondary playmaker, an elite role player. Uh, I think we might as well have elite role players a tagline for our podcast because we literally bring up, quote-unquote, elite role player almost every podcast episode. And... I think Desmond Bank can really evolve into that and evolve into a guy that's a winning player who ultimately outperforms his status as the 30th pick in the NBA draft. He was a consensus top 20 guy almost around the board on most draft boards. I know he was a favorite within 
NBA draft Twitter. He was a favorite among some of the national guys. And I, I was, uh, I have a friend who talked to a scout who said that they had Bain as a top 20 player who was also a top five shooter and top 10 playmaker. So I, I think Desmond Bain can absolutely end up becoming the steal of the draft. And for the Grizzlies to get highly regarded as the two biggest steals in the draft and back-to-back draft classes with Brandon Clark and Desmond Bain, that, that's just absolutely awesome in my mind. Sure. And, and I think Xavier Tillman, who – is very it was arguably in my mind one of the most complete big men in the draft could also be a candidate to be one of the steals of the draft and it just puts into perspective how good of a night that the Grizzlies have. But I want to ask you this question on the line of thinking with Xavier Tillman. So let's say Xavier Tillman is going to be an effective rotation big for the Grizzlies that we think he's going to be. And the Grizzlies also signed Killian Tilly, who you and I both like a lot. I agree. There were even talks that he could have been a lottery pick at one point before the injuries. He's a first-round caliber talent. He's a very modern big. He shot better than 40% for three every single season that he was at Gonzaga. The Grizzlies also just signed Jonte Porter to a three-year deal. Um, with all of that in mind, so the Grizzlies' big rotation is now Jonas Valanciunas, Jaron Jackson Jr., Brandon Clark, Xavier Tillman, and then you also have Killian Tilly and Jonte Porter somewhere in the mix. I want to get your take over under how much longer is Jonas Valanciunas on the Grizzlies? They're running out of real estate in their big man rotation right now. Oh, shoot. I'm going to put a – I want to quote um, many great game players out there and say life's too short to take the under. Um, I think he'll make it through 2021 for sure. I, agree. I think the development more of Tillman and Porter will have more to say with it. Now, I think the Grizzlies could very well be in the market to trade – Gorgie Dang, as well as one of Guterich and Hizonia. I don't know if you could still aggregate Hizonia's money yet. I mean, they did it with Kyle Korver last year, so I don't know why you wouldn't be able to do it with Hizonia, but... I assume Jang was getting either waived or he would be getting moved in some smaller deal because I didn't even think of him. I just assumed he'd be out going into opening night this year. Yeah, I mean, he's the highest salary right now for the Memphis Grizzlies. And he could be a guy that, you know, they can use to help other teams get off higher contracts. I mean, if Sacramento would be dangling Harrison Barnes and trying to get off his contract so they can match Bogdan Bogdanovich's offer, I I would definitely be looking at that because the Grizzlies are always in the market for big wings that can shoot and create and defend multiple positions. And, Uh, you know... I can see it, but I say it all just goes down to Tillman. The Kings, by all reports, do not want to commit money to Buddy Heald, um, John Bogdanovich, and um, Harrison Ball situation at the moment. I think the Atlanta Hawks are prepared to offer him about $18 million a year. Um, they – by some reports that I've read, would like to keep Bogdanovich if they could find a way to deal but Buddy Heald here in the very immediate capacity. Kleinman, I'd be calling a Gorgie Dang, Mario traded, right? Who? Would, can Hazonia be traded again? I think so, yeah. Okay, so you package Jang, 
his zone, you know, and I think the money would work on that. And you try to package together multiple seconds to get Buddy healed. That's a trade worth making at this point because the Kings are just trying to get off appealed if it means keeping and retaining Bogdanovich. And frankly, I think they're looking to move healed anyway. Sure. I want to wrap up with talking about some of the recent wing acquisitions for the Memphis Grizzlies. And we'll get the easy one out of the way first. Mario Hazonia, do you want to keep him or no? Because he kind of stinks. He'd be, he'd be pretty comical to have on this team, but <laughs> I, I'm not – I always lie on Hazonia when, they dra- like when he was drafted, but – Sure, I was too. Um, like, how could I not be a fan of Mario Hazonia after he – who has generally been a relatively bad player since he got into the league, steps over LeBron James on a game-winning block. How can you not like that guy after that? You absolutely want that guy in your locker room. He'd be absolutely hilarious to have here. I still think he could put it together and end up becoming a legitimate rotation player in the NBA. Um the Grizzlies are overloaded with wings at the moment. I just, even if they were somehow to find a way to retain him and give him a roster spot, I don't think he would play virtually any role this coming year. So, no. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't, he, he doesn't really have any redeeming basketball qualities about him except for his irrational confidence. Or <laughs> I, I had somebody ask me, or just ask in general, how would you describe Mario Hazoni as a player? Like, what are his like redeeming qualities? And I said, if you had Kyle Anderson's size, Grayson Allen's athleticism, Dylan Brooks' irrational confidence, and Marco Guterich's skill set, you would have Mario Hazonia. I was just going to say a poor man's J.R. Smith. A poor man's J.R. Smith. It's also dumber than J.R. Smith. Yeah, I, I – I'm not high on Hazonia at all. I, I doubt that he's on the opening yeah, night roster. Yeah. But if anything, it's a gamble on a dude that's – I'm not even at a gamble. It's a flyer on a guy that five years ago was the number five pick in an NBA draft. Granted, that doesn't have much to say, but it's always worth a shot. Um, with And then with Conchar, I was thinking about this. I think – the, the Conchar and Porter deals in particular, they remind me of some of the same hinky deals where he, the contracts that he gave Robert Covington and TJ McConnell, where it was like a very low salary, but high year contract. I think both of them, I think Porter got three and six and Conchar got four and nine. With Conchar in particular, like where do you see the upside in Conchar because if he increase like he doesn't have like bad mechanics or bad percentages or anything, if he could increase his three point vol- uh, volume, I think he could be a nice rotation player in the NBA, especially given what he does defensively and on the glass. It, and I agree. The, the truth of the matter is, is I just don't really have that strong good opinion about John Conchar because really. What's his comp? Like, can you think of another extremely low use? Maybe Alex Caruso, who we've already brought up, like a very low usage, but um, very analytically driven player. Um, Caruso is the only player that immediately comes to mind. I truly have no idea what he could turn into. There's some truth to the idea that, yes, he does have good mechanics. If he increases the volume of his three-point shooting, that he can become a more prolific producer 
coming off the bench to the Grizzlies. But um, I think the mindset, like you said, is similar to those Sam Hinkie deals where Hinkie was giving low salary, long, longer-term deals to those players. Um, they had time to figure it out. He was going to see what Robert Covington was going to become. And the Grizzlies have that opportunity with Jonte Porter. They have that opportunity with Conchar. And we have not seen enough of Porter to be able to make a determination one way or the other. Conchar, he was effective in the minutes that he played. There have also been multiple guys over the last decade for the Grizzlies who uh, played on the main roster for a stretch during the season and were generally pretty effective in the minutes that they played, and then they didn't end up sticking around after that. We're going to see what category John Contra fits into, and as of right now, I honestly don't know. Gotcha, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think Caruso would probably be like the best comp for him. As far as next season and beyond goes, at least with this next season in particular, depth's going to be important. I think John Conchar is someone you can plug in and he'll give you about 10 good minutes because he rarely makes mistakes. He's going to move the basketball well. He's going to make the right reads. He's going to rebound and he's going to make plays defensively. He's not going to take shots away from anybody. He's ultimately just going to play his role. And that's basically a rookie scale contract when you think about it with the four with the four years and the money value there. I think it's a nice little gamble. And if anything, something happens, it's low money. And you can also always put it in a trade somewhere as a money matcher. But I think the Grizzlies did right by not waiting and seeing what their guys would get in restricted free agency. They had assigned them. I think the biggest guy in that is DeAnthony Melton, who the Grizzlies retained for four years, $35 million. And it's looking like it's going to be a descending contract where it's going to be more front-loaded and then be uh, back-loaded. I think I saw something from Bobby Marks today where he said only $28 million of uh, D'Anthony Melton's $35 million is guaranteed. I don't know if it means that the last year of his contract is – uh, a non-guaranteed deal or if there's options or if there are any incentives that make it $35 million. But given the the constant debate of Melton's value over the past several months and the evaluations people had on him. I mean, we had John Hollinger with his new metrics say that he would be a 15 mil per year guy based off his value. But they managed to get a highly efficient 22-year-old who is already projected as elite defender for less than mid-level exception. In today's NBA climate, I would say that's pretty good. And especially when, as we've said on the show, before that Tyus Melton and Clark bench unit was really, really strong last year. One of the best plus minus groups in the league last year. And I think with this, you're banking on Melton outperforming his contract in the form of evolving as a more of a secondary playmaker, even though he averaged the ninth most assists among all reserved guards last year, while also evolving as a three point weapon which the bubble mask it, but I think there is upside with Melton as a catch-and-shoot player. Uh, I think he shot like 35 36% on catch-and-shoot attempts in his career from three. But also, too, when he was in the starting lineup alongside 
John Morant for that part before the shutdown, he was shooting about 37, 38% as a starter uh, from three point. So I love the value they got from Milton and it's going to be very interesting to see how everything all plays out here. I like it a lot. Um, it's ultimately the right deal to make, and you'll see about how valuable that deal ends up becoming over the next four years. I've said so before in an article, and I've said so on here before, that I would not be shocked in four years if the Anthony Melton is an all-NBA defensive member. Um, I also would not be shocked if DeAnthony Melton is out of the league in four to five years. There's a lot of sway for where DeAnthony Melton can go as a player. If he never figures out his shooting, which, like you said, there is upside there. I believe his second season – or, no, it was his rookie season in Phoenix. He shot 39%. I remember it because I wrote an article about it. He shot 39% on catch-and-shoot threes. He shot only 27% from beyond the yard because he was a – just about, if not the absolute worst pull-up shooter in the NBA. And there was some development in that area of his game this year with the Grizzlies. Um, It's all going to come down to the shooting. Shooting is the most premium skill in the NBA, and it determines how effective role players end up being. And to his credit, he's already a borderline elite defender. He's been among the league leaders in deflections and steals per 36 minutes for the last two years. His value on that end of the court can't be overstated, even though I think at times his reputation precedes what he actually does. He often struggles in more physical matchups, and I think some time in the weight room will help him with that as well. But He has clear value on the defensive end of the court, and we saw how effective he could be as a secondary playmaker in a bench lineup. He has value for the Grizzlies in that way. The question is, can he become more than that? Can he become a legitimate starter-level player if his shooting, his playmaking advance to a place where he's able to become that? If he is, then that deal is going to end up being fantastic and the Grizzlies will get great value for it. If he doesn't, It'll be, a, it'll be a mediocre deal in retrospect. But what, it's one of, just like with John Conchar, it's one of those things that you just have to wait and see. We don't know exactly what trajectory DeAnthony Melton is going to take. And that's exciting. That's exciting with this group of players that there is that level of uncertainty of whether DeAnthony Melton turns into a Joe Dumars, a Drew Holiday, or he ends up flaming out of the league or somewhere in between those two extremes. That'll be exciting to figure out. I mean, I think he'll ultimately be fine as far as his trajectory goes. Granted, with this contract, I don't think he needs to necessarily become a starter-level player for it to meet its value or anything because of what he does. I mean, his on-off metrics, his secondary playmaking, he's already close to an elite defender. I think he can flirt with all defensive teams in his prime. And also, as the league continues to trend towards these bigger playmakers, you know, like your Luka Doncic, your Kate Cunningham's, who's coming up in 2021, you're going to need guys that could defend point guards. And I think D'Anthony Melton could be that guy that you put in, you know, like down the road. Like he's a guy that's going to be enticing to put next to a bigger playmaker who doesn't necessarily need the ball on offense to command the quote-unquote starting point guard minutes, but he'll alleviate that responsibility by taking care of the primary creators on the defensive end of the court. I think there's upside for him to grow as a shooter. I mean, honestly, 
it's easy to say that we probably think shooting is the easiest skill to correct. It's all about really reps, repetition, work on your form, all that. I, I think it's a very good signing for the Memphis Grizzlies. And I think when you think about it, they entered the 2019-2020 season with about $40 million cap room. And as a result, they ended up trading for Justice Winslow, extending Dylan Brooks, resigning DeAnthony Melton to below the mid-level, while also retaining nice, cheap end-of-the-bench pieces like John Conchar and Jonte Porter. I think that's probably the best use of cast space they could have used realistically, if we're being completely honest. We could have been like the Charlotte Hornets and just blown a bag on Gordon Hayward when he really doesn't fit the timeline of what the Grizzlies are trying to do. Or really, he doesn't fit the timeline of what Charlotte should be trying to do either. Yeah, the Grizzlies are not racing toward the middle. And there's absolutely no reason for them to do that, considering that even if they tried to, there's no guarantee that they would make the playoffs. And when you see how perceived and deep the 2021 NBA draft is, um, the Grizzlies should try to be as good as they possibly can be this year. If they somehow end up winning 40-plus games, even in the absence of Justice Westlow and Jared Jackson Jr. to start the season, I'll throw up my hands and see and say I'm glad to see how much they've progressed over the last year. But there's no need to try to artificially increase the win count. There's no need to try to make this team artificially better in the moment. And they're supposed to be, at this time, the trajectory of their growth. Just let this season play out with the same young rotation players, the same core group of guys that you had last year. You'll get to see, have a greater perspective of where they're at and who they are. And you'll also put yourself in better position to add a third star in the 2021 NBA draft. The Grizzlies don't need to be the Charlotte Hornets. They don't need to be the Atlanta Hawks because, frankly, they've shown to be wiser in those two franchises. And it's going to pay off in the long term. I know you and I both believe that because it is the wisest path forward for them in that. Absolutely, for sure. I think they're in the, a very good position. They're still right now in the middle of the pack without even necessarily trying to quote-unquote race for the middle like you alluded to. They have their two guys right now. They have the cap space in 2021 and potentially 2022 to go get some more guys to surround Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant with. We've seen the willingness for the front office to go out and get their guys through using their uh, draft capital to move up, whether it's like this year with Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman or last year with Brandon Clark. So as the Grizzlies continue to gain draft capital, it's, it's very promising to see what the Grizzlies can do going forward, especially when – the max contracts of Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Moran are at the top of your cap sheet, and you're really more relying on the draft for depth. It's an exciting time to be a Grizzlies fan, and I, I think this is for what was going to be considered a boring offseason for the Memphis Grizzlies. may not have been the most exciting, but it's definitely been a pretty successful offseason when it comes to figuring out how you're going to build around your two star cornerstones, and three if you count Brandon Clark. Absolutely, for sure. Yep, so that's about all the time we have today. Nate, do you have any closing remarks for us? 
I do not. I have nothing funny or witty to say. I really never do when you think about it, but I especially don't at the moment. But you can follow me on Twitter to see my attempts at witty and funny comments at NathanChester24. And you can find all my Grizzlies-related content at grizzlybearblues.com. Yep. Yes, sir. Make sure y'all are doing that. You follow me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Follow the blog on Twitter at SB and Grizzlies. Follow the podcast on Twitter at core four podcasts with the number four not the word four and make sure you're liking subscribing downloading whatever you need to do to listen to every episode of the grizzly bear blues podcast network on spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, stitcher megaphone iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your podcast and make sure you are leaving a review as well gas up your homies it's what we do and make sure you have a great safe Thanksgiving holiday, however you're celebrating, whether you're celebrating virtually or in person. And with that, Nate, I'll let you have the closing remarks. That's all, folks.